Hey everyone and welcome to today's episode of Developer Tea. My name is Jonathan Cottrell and in today's episode we're going to be finishing up the interview with Lauren Cottrell. For those of you who don't know, Lauren is my wife and she works at Whiteboard with me. She is the Director of Interactive at Whiteboard. Uh, in today's episode and in the previous uh, part of today's interview, we talk about Agile, we talk about how it applies to developers and how we are implementing Scrum at Whiteboard. I hope you enjoy this interview with Lauren Cottrell. Okay, so we've gone through these these first two ceremonies, that kickoff meeting, as I'm going to call it. I'm, I'm never going to get the name right. The sprint planning meeting, uh, as, as we call it. And then uh, uh, the the uh, continuous ceremony, I guess, is, is a better way of putting it. But the second ceremony is that stand-up meeting every day. Yep. What is the third ceremony? It's the exciting sprint demo or iteration demo of what you've done over the course of the whole week uh, that is actually involving the client um, and or product owner, uh, where you are demoing all the working software or the working web or the executed design uh, in browser or in MailChimp or whatever you're working in. Okay, so uh, so this is basically showing the client what you've what you've created for them, or showing the product owner is a better way of putting it, right? Sure, it can be either or. There's in our situation, there is a client and a product owner. So I, I like to think about movie uh, movie credits when I think about this. So a product owner is like the director on a movie set, right? So they they're much more involved. They have a really specific um, uh, preferences on how things look, how yeah. things feel, yep. how things, uh, how they match up to a brand. Um, they're going to be the most, you know, once again to use the metaphor, boots on the ground kind of kind of uh, role in in the sprint process. Uh, whereas somebody like a client is going to play more of the producer role. Now we're using this, uh, we're using the term producer in the movie sense, not in uh, in like the producing, uh, the developer is a producer in the sprint world, but in the movie world, a producer is kind of hands off. Usually, uh, they are involved in some distant way. They had an idea for the film, or maybe they were involved with uh, some people who had the idea for the film. Or typically, they're going to be hands off, and a lot of times they have maybe some money wrapped up into the film. But uh, that and that actually describes this relationship really, really well. You have the director who is much more artistically involved, much more uh, bought into the individual decisions. The way that a movie feels is typically because of the director. Uh, the way that a movie is funded is typically because of the producer, right? So yeah. uh, think about that in, in those terms. And I think that kind of gives you an idea of how a product owner should be uh, interacting with the the sprint team throughout the week, they're going to be doing a lot of hands-on. They're going to be giving feedback throughout the week. Is is that how it's supposed to work? Should be, should they be you know having kind of impromptu meetings, for example, with developers? Uh, if if they see fit, but really that's only a question of if if the task or requirement isn't quite fulfilling the values, or if something got off track, or if they have more insight to fuel the direction of the thing that a developer is working on, that's more than acceptable. Like what isn't prescriptive about the way you implement Scrum or Agile is that the team should really define when and how they communicate and the coach helps them do that. This is actually probably my favorite thing about Agile is you no longer have to feel bad about saying, hey, let's jump into this conference room and talk about this thing. Right. right. 
and, and you're not you interrupting someone. Uh, it, or, or typically, you know, because you're all working on the same project, the interruption is is welcome, right? Because you know, hey, this is they're working on something really important, and um, as, and as long as you're respecting each other, right? And you don't need a project manager to do all of that overhead for you. And, and to to compare this to uh, a non uh, non focused week is what I would probably prefer to call it. Uh, without this kind of singular focus for a given team, a lot of the time you're going to have somebody coming up to your desk and asking you to work on something that's totally unrelated to what you're working on. That's not what we're talking about with this. What we're talking about here is having someone come up to your desk and ask you a question that is actually relevant to what you're doing and that's actually relevant to what they're doing and you're all working towards this singular goal uh, over the course of five days. Yep. It is a powerful feeling to have focus once again. It, it, this is literally like one of the very first things we talked about on Developer T. Focus is uh, is a superpower almost. It, the ability to focus is so important. And if you build your processes, if you use something like Scrum, if you if you uh, subscribe to the, the philosophies of Agile, then you can accomplish focus. I know it sounds like we're almost preaching this. There's no money involved uh, in in this for us. Like we aren't trying to sell you a product that you can go buy about Agile. Uh, all this stuff is like as open source as it gets. Yeah, and and this all comes from the desire for people to be happy and effective. Uh, that's client and producer the same. That's a developer feeling uh, fulfilled, and they met the focus and the task as it was defined and they felt the reward of that on a daily basis and then at a weekly in the sprint demo they're like look at this what we did as a team it's already working it's launchable it's effective now it might not be the whole site but it's working and you can move on to the next thing to create the full solution and maybe launch it all together yeah absolutely i so we're going back to our film metaphor for a second because we just mentioned this this third ceremony, which is the demo, right? And that's almost like the initial screening, if you will. Um, there's a, there's a weekly screening. It's almost like you're you're screening a scene. Absolutely. Of, of, you're not going to look at the entire application. You're going to look at a subsection of the application, whatever you worked on uh, for that week. And then, so so that's the third ceremony. What is the final ceremony in the Scrum process? This one is internal. It is for the betterment and the growth of a team, and it's the sprint retro or the iteration retrospective. You are, as a team, identifying three things. Uh, what worked really well? Let's do it again next sprint. What didn't work so well? Cool, we identified that. And then let's pick one or a couple achievable things to try on this next sprint, learning what didn't didn't work. I love this um, in our team right now. Uh, and hopefully other people experience the same thing. I assume they do. But in our team right now, this is almost a exercise for our team to start practicing how to be both positive and critical, right? So yes. we, we look at uh, what we've done. And sometimes it's really difficult to come up with one side or the other. Like if you feel negative about something, yeah. you're going to have a hard time coming up with something positive and vice versa. If you feel positive about something, it's really difficult to come up with something negative. Yeah. So uh, I found that, that, that this is a really good exercise in critical thinking for our team um, because it's easy to kind of fall prey to groupthink. 
But what you what you have to do in this particular meeting, I'm I'm talking a lot about this, even though I'm interviewing Lauren, but I I feel very strongly about the retro meeting. What you have to do on the retro meeting is ensure that everyone comes up with something both on both sides of that fence. Yeah, it's easy to uh, fall prey to the you know the negative that happens, the bug that occurs, the unknown that pops up that we know is. Uh, inevitable in in software in web design and development and this really coaches you just as a a practice to identify something positive as well uh, because you've worked as a team something has gone well uh, and this keys you up to do something well again next week as well as improve something not just identify all the negatives but actually choose to isolate that thing and say what we could try differently next time so this is this is actually a, a pattern um, that that we see in like super high performing athletes. We've used some sports language in this episode, but more, most specifically, athletes that are trying to get better. A lot of the time, what they will do, you'll if you go and listen to any of these podcasts about like these these incredible athletes who have won multiple championships or uh, episodes of coaches talking about how they coach uh, and how they've won multiple world championship kind of things. Um, Pretty much across the board, the way that bettering happens is you have a coach and you iterate. And for each iteration, you identify things that you, you need to do again and you identify things that you need to improve on. Right. So the exercise itself of identifying those things is a part of the process. And then going through it is the exercise like it's it's the actual, you know, the building of the muscle or the building of that memory of the, of that particular skill. And so you're not going to get it right at the beginning. You're not going to get agile right. You're going to estimate things wrong all the time. Uh, one of the things that is so important in, in agile is this idea of accepting that you're bad at estimation. Right. Yeah, and the power in this, the truth be told that I have witnessed is that even after, what, two weeks we worked on a project together in this Team Weeks model, Jonathan, I was a coach and you were a developer. You guys, in less than two weeks' time, estimated higher than it actually was going to require of your time, and you completed more than you took on in a given sprint, and we had that much more to demo. And that's just incredible. I mean, you're learning that quickly even on the day. Yeah, it is It is really interesting to see how, uh, how you start to expect to not get as much done uh, just because of either some previous bias that you had. Uh, like, I... I have a, a tendency to believe that uh, I'm, I'm to basically underestimate every single time now because of so many times of being burnt as a developer of overestimating what I could complete in a given amount of time. Uh, and so I'm very wary and, and I'm very careful, uh, realistically speaking, I'm very careful about what I promise that I can get done. And uh, yeah, this this has shown to be uh, to be a really effective way of, of increasing the word, the agile like buzzword is going to be uh, the velocity of what we do. Yeah, right? you guys are more productive and the momentum is greater and that's the win. But I want to talk about this estimation thing real quick because yeah. uh, estimation, we, obviously we talked about it on the show before, the sandwich problem, uh, you can estimate pretty easily uh, uh, how how long it's going to take you to make one sandwich. But if you tried to gut estimate how long it takes to make 100 sandwiches, 
um, you're probably going to be wrong, right? If you were to multiply one sandwich times 100, you're going to see a much, much higher number than you probably, this is most likely, you're going to see a higher number uh, than you would have gut estimated 100 sandwiches at, right? Yeah. Uh, A very simple proof. Let's say it's six minutes just because that's an easy round number. Uh, if you if it takes you six minutes to make one sandwich, well, it's going to take you 600 minutes to make 100 sandwiches. And you would have never probably guessed that it would take you 10 hours to make 100 sandwiches. That's without any breaks, right? Yeah. And estimating in, you know, this agile philosophy is really, I think, a breakthrough idea that you can say, does a PB&J uh, take me less time or more time than making a baked panini with swiss cheese and ham well hopefully it would take you a significantly less time to make a pb and j exactly and that's the answer you can without having to put a number to it without having to put hours to it or you know a budget to it you can say this will take more or less than this other task we're kind of going outside of agile here because uh, the the discussion starts to center around this idea of degrees of confidence right so Uh, And I talk to my developers about this all the time. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show or not, actually. But degrees of confidence about something uh, that that you're stating. So, for example, um, I've talked to customer service representatives and uh, I would ask them, you know, for example, if, if something had not been shipped to my house on time, I would ask them, when is this item going? When is this item supposed to arrive? And way too many times the customer service representative will say something along the lines of, we have no idea, right? And, and this to me is is one of the most infuriating lines mm-hmm. that I can hear from a customer service representative because they do have some idea, Yeah. right? In other words, they do. Uh, if I were to ask them, so is it possible that this is going to be delivered in five years from now? Yeah, right. Well, obviously not, right? So they have a very high degree of confidence that it's not going to be delivered in five years from now. They have almost a 100% degree of confidence that it's not going to be delivered in five years from now. On yeah. the On the flip side of that, if I were to ask them, is this going to be delivered between 9 and 9.30 on Tuesday, right? They would have almost zero confidence in answering that question. Yeah, they would. And that's kind of the way to think about uh, the agile way of estimating. Don't, you know, make it a comparison and then narrow it down by, well, that definitely wouldn't take me longer than two days, but I'm not sure if it would be a half day or a full. Well, then put it somewhere in that in that realm. Then to be safe, slightly overestimate what you think it's going to take. You know, say it's going to take you the whole day if it could take a half day and you're not quite sure where that's going to land. Well, the best case scenario, you over deliver to the client. So all of this estimation is really for a bigger picture goal that uh, gets our team to understanding and measuring our own velocity uh, without having to have an expert who runs numbers all the time. The coach actually looks at our estimations and what we were actually able to accomplish in a given sprint. And then over a few sprints, we actually figure out our real velocity. So putting these estimations, they're sometimes referenced as a complexity point, you know, from one to five, how complex is this task? Um, That is what we add up and then begin to average out so that when we say something's a one, we start understanding more and more what a one is and how long a one is going to take. And then we understand that our whole team can accomplish, say, 20 points in a given sprint. It's really powerful and it doesn't take rocket science. And 
I've just been so energized and excited to play the role of this coach. I mean, for, for moments like these. And here's the reality. There's a lot of people who are listening to this episode and you've heard all of the stuff about Agile and, and you've probably heard of burn. You've probably seen the burn down charts. You know, uh, this hip hop like mainstream media when it was on Silicon Valley on HBO, uh, they had the burn down chart and, and they actually show it working, which is really cool to me um, th- that that this show would actually like somehow throw a bone back to the to the Agile world. But um it's very interesting to me to see this stuff in a practical light, right? We've read all the books. And really simple. It's not that hard. I haven't studied really long and hard. I haven't practiced this for 20 years. Uh, I didn't go and get my Scrum Master certification, and here we are, and it's effective. Yeah, and to be fair, Lauren's dad does have like every certification under the sun, uh, but at the same time, and how many programming languages? <laughs> yeah, he knows so many things that we we respect Lauren's dad quite a bit. A lot. Hopefully, he's he's going to hear this uh, episode at some point. But, um, but yeah, I think that I think you're right. I think the the best way to make agile work, and I want you to talk about that. I'm going to ask you kind of a really specific question, um, but I think just to to, to tee this up. I think that the best way to make Agile work is to start with the simplest, most uh, direct, valuable thing that you can implement from Agile. Uh, and, and I want you to talk about, like, if I were to do a single thing to test Agile methodology, what would that thing be? Like, for myself, I, I don't want to take it to my team yet. I don't want to force everybody to adopt it in order to test to see if it's going to work. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go and read about complexity points yet. I don't want to uh, have all these ceremonies yet. I just want to see if maybe this is going to be for me. What are the like one or two things that I can do this week to test out some of the philosophy in my own life? I would say take the to-do list that you already have and organize it in some way, whether it's Post-it notes or Trello or Google a Kanban board, that's K-A-N-B-A-N, and put it in just a simple arrangement. Put all the things you haven't done in the do column. Have a doing column and a done column. And limit your work in progress to one thing at a time. And be it in a couple days or a week, see what you accomplish. So this is kind of like the user stories, organizing the user stories and putting those through the process of doing one thing at a time and then going into the done columns so that we can see exactly what we've done uh, in the in the past week or so. Uh, I've, I wonder if this would be something that I could try like maybe at home with my like the stuff that I have to do at home. I think that's a perfect idea. And, and that way you're validating like, for example, Lauren and I. Uh, this is this is a uh, a married moment here for a second. We often talk about what can we get done a- at night, and I have this tendency to think that I'm going to get a hundred things done at night, That's and true. Sh- and she has a tendency to think that I'm going to get like one thing done at night, <laughs> and neither of us are totally right, right? Like, and <laughs> and part of this is because you know the the variability in uh, in doing a developer tea episode, for example, and uh, and so it's really it's really like a, a perfect place where we could actually try this in our personal life uh, to validate the concept of, of measuring and figuring out, you know, because the, the reality of, of human behavior is that we often act the same. Like we, we don't change a lot. Yeah. And so we're probably going to do, I'm, I probably take 
about the same amount of time to do a developer tea episode, even if it feels like some of them are significantly longer or significantly shorter than others. Uh, most of the time, they're probably going to fall in like a standard distribution from an average uh, an average uh, amount of time that I have to put into it. And so, if I'm actually measuring that time, then I can make a pretty good uh, again a, a pretty good estimation with a pretty high degree of confidence that it's going to take about this amount of time to do this thing. Yeah. So start with uh, your off hours. Don't make it about work. Make it about your personal life when you're at home in your weekends, your your pet projects, whatever you want to do. Yeah, I've seen this implemented in like a hundred different places outside of, of work. Like for example, uh, I've seen it done for like wedding planning is, is, is a really big one. There's books on agile wedding planning. There's also, uh, for example, using this to uh, get your kids to do their chores properly or in, in the most important order, right? Yeah, and even in the classroom structure, like elementary schools are using this do, doing, done concept with post-it notes or, uh, you know, three by five note cards. And it's really incredible what's happening. Today's episode is sponsored by Flatiron School. Now, we talk about learning on this uh, on this program all the time. And Flatiron School is about learning, but they're more than just about learning. Flatiron is a premier coding boot camp for launching developers into proven jobs. Okay, not, not only uh, are you going to learn a ton from Flatiron, obviously you're going to get prepared for your career, but Flatiron also has a job guarantee. Uh, if you do your part, you'll receive a job offer within 180 days or your money back. So you have very little reason uh, uh, to worry about going into this program because you're very likely to get a job. In fact, 98% of Flatiron School grads find jobs they love within six months, including internships, apprenticeships, and full-time roles with starting salaries over $74,000. And that's pretty competitive pretty much anywhere uh, that you go. Flatiron has placed people in companies like Google, IBM, Facebook. So uh, if you want to join the ranks of Flatiron School alumni who are now working at companies like that, then go and check out flatironbootcampprep.com or you can go to spec.fm slash flatiron uh, to learn more about what Flatiron is doing. Flatiron's bootcamp, this bootcamp prep is totally free for you. Okay, there's free online resources to get you ready for Flatiron. They're providing that to you. Not only is it free to you, but if you then go on to go to Flatiron, uh, you're going to receive $500 off your first month of tuition. So head over to spec.fm slash Flatiron to learn more about what Flatiron School has to offer to you as a brand new developer or even if you have a little bit of experience as a developer and you're just wanting to step up your game or uh, get into this guaranteed job placement program Flatiron is the type of boot camp that you want to be looking at thank you again to Flatiron for sponsoring today's episode of developer T you know that's actually a really really cool idea because uh, we were talking about this concept of, of um, meta education the other night and we we discussed the fact that, and I think I've talked about I talked about this with Khaled Azad on the show, uh, in the interviews that I did with him. Uh, but we discussed the fact that we we don't really learn how to memorize things, but so many of our classes in school 
require us to have memorized a, a large amount of information. Uh, for my example was Spanish, but uh, another example in high school was uh, was history. All these random dates or random people that I didn't really put together into a story. I didn't really understand how it all fit together. And so if I had had this meta-education on how to memorize things, uh, maybe I could have memorized things better throughout my years in school. And I think that management of uh, a list of things to do, management of my tasks, management of my my workload, if we can teach children how to manage their, their tasks better, um, you know, especially this limiting work in progressing, I think this is really, if you walk away with nothing else from today's episode, uh, this has really been more like a collaborative ep- episode than it has been an interview, I think. But I like if you, it. If you walk away with nothing else, um, limiting your work in progress, it does so many things for you, both at an actual practical level, but also at like a mental health level, right? Like if, if you feel a sense of anxiety because you have a hundred things and you're doing a hundred things and nothing ever seems to get done. Oh yeah. If, if you've ever felt that then this is definitely for you. I actually have experienced this with Lauren at home before, and we have to remind each other, hey, take a second, decide what you think is the most important thing to do right now, and then go do that thing. Yeah, absolutely. Or document it, write it down, prioritize it, and then go do it. I mean, it gets the, you know, oh, we need to do this. Oh, we need to do that. Oh, we need to do that out of out of the way. And you're actually feeling accomplished and things that are actually needing to get done ultimately make it to the top of the list. You said something there that actually reminded me of an experience we had last week. Um, you said document it. You know, both of us had this distinct feeling last week. Uh, both of us had this on separate days, too. Um, I had this feeling that I had not finished everything I was supposed to do. Like, I felt like I was still in go mode. Like I hadn't finished my day out yeah. and I didn't know what the thing was that I was supposed to do. Like I had yeah. no clue why I felt that way. I just kind of had that, that sense of urgency to go and get something done, but I had no idea what I was trying to get done. Yep. And you had the same feeling, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And never really quite put my finger on it because we didn't document what it could have been or what it should have been. <laughs> so there's, there's actually, so that's actually a really good point. Taylor, the CEO at Whiteboard has mentioned this as well, but he said one of his favorite parts of, uh, of Scrum is that you have this, like this end point at the end of the week, you feel accomplished, right? Um, so on the emotional side, just if we're just talking about the emotional side, you have this moment of like of celebration of retrospective looking back at what you've done. You actually did what you said you were going to do and sometimes more. And you're, and you're validating that it's done. Right? Yeah. And, and you're showing it to someone else to validate that it's done. And the whole team has a shared definition of done. Right. And, and you can look at the documentation and say, yes, we did these things. And there's there's a sense there's this uh, the, there's another idea. I can't remember who it came from. Uh, it's another famous podcaster out there in podcast land, but they talk about the the concept of a shutdown, right? So every day uh, at a certain point in their workday, they start their shutdown sequence and um, that lets their brain know it's like a, it's just a habitual thing, right? Yeah, they have the same rhythm. They have a sprint. They have a, the start and end to each day and to each week. Right. And so you have a shutdown 
that lets your brain know, hey, now you can chill out and you can go into this other mode, whatever that mode is. So if you're headed home uh, to spend time with your family, now you can actually fully be present with your family. And there's some of this, some of this stuff, you guys know Headspace is a sponsor of the show. Uh, Some of this comes back to, you know, being mindful and being in the moment. You know, if you're doing one thing and your mind is on another thing, not only are you not going to do the the thing you're doing well, but you're also not really serving the thing that your mind is on very well either. Right? Yeah, and this, this puts beautiful boundaries on things like you can walk away at 5, 530, even if something isn't resolved because you know what literally what is on your plate for the rest of the week and unknowns are sort of accounted for and your your estimations aren't perfectly exact so you can still close your computer at 5 30 and not work till nine o'clock and miss dinner yeah there's like a sense of closure in in the day and a sense of like we, we all have come to the table and agreed that the work has been you know this week has completed yeah without ignoring the unknowns and change are inevitable which i think for being someone who if you've you know, done the strengths finders test. Adaptability is like my number one. And even though I'm type A and organized, I mean, that's like empowering. And truly, you can organize for yourself in this framework. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's let's do like a very fast uh, uh, recap of what a scrum week looks like. And then we're going to wrap up the show with the two questions that I ask every uh, every guest that comes on the show, but let's let's do a very fast recap. What does a Scrum Week look like? It's a dedicated team of varying disciplines, one or more of each, and together you establish a rhythm that you are going to repeat. Call it a sprint or an iteration. You have a sprint planning meeting where you've taken big ideas and features and broke them down to tasks, and you estimate them. You queue them up and order them in priority, and then you get working. And then on the daily, you have a stand up and say what you did the day before, what you're going to do today. If there's any impediments, get to the end of the week or the sprint and you actually demo the work you've done as a team. And then you have a little retrospect and learn from what worked really well and what didn't. Very simple. And if you want to try this in your daily life, then you're just going to set up some kind of way of tracking the things that you need to do, the things that you are currently doing or better yet the thing that you are currently doing. That's right. And then finally, uh, the things that you've already done. And if, a very simple way to limit your work in progress, by the way, is put a number above that column, the number of things that are allowed to be in that column. Yes. Uh, it's a very effective way so that you know you're visually reminding yourself of the rules. You'd be surprised at how strong that visual reminder can be uh, if if you see that reminder as you are managing that board uh, and Lauren mentioned earlier, I think it was in between takes, uh, Lauren mentioned that you can even use like post-it notes for this, right? That's where it all started. And the agile methodology, you mean? Absolutely. Post-it notes on a big wall. Yeah. If you go Google it, I, I think now that you mentioned that, Lauren, if you go Google this, I think you'll see a bunch of people in a room with a bunch of post-it notes all over the wall. Yep. This is even a great way to uh, have... Uh, even meetings outside of work, like say coffee talks where you want to just talk about topics or learn something together, you can even apply it there. So look up, I would say do a little bit of homework and look up something called lean coffee. Yeah, lean is another part of the like the agile philosophy uh, that we aren't going to get in like deep into nope. now. There's there are uh, it's also a very like hot word 
<laughs> the Lean Startup is a is a book that has rave reviews. I actually haven't read it yet, but I know Lauren, your dad has read it, and he is a huge fan of it. Yes. Um, and have you read it as well? I have not. Okay. But that's all my uh, objectives for this quarter. There you go. So uh, we we've covered Scrum. I think hopefully people who uh, have heard it spoken in their in their firms or in their agencies or startups or wherever they're working. Hopefully it's a little less intimidating, a little less like processy and HR, uh, you know, process speak and all that. Hopefully you're, you're seeing now um, how a developer can actually be a champion of something like Scrum and, yeah. and the Agile philosophy. Uh, but I want to ask you two questions that I ask all of the guests that come on Developer T. The first question that I like to ask everyone who comes on the show is if you had 30 seconds to give developers advice, just 30 seconds, what would you tell them? That's a great question. I know today it sounded like, you know, I'm talking mostly about a process and a strategy and tools and a way to manage uh, projects and people. But I would say, remember this out of everything else, um, focus on individuals and your interactions with them over processes and tools, because uh, this is I think this is what was eye-opening for me um, in learning what I have and just seeing the effectiveness of it. So individuals and interactions over processes and tools any day. And isn't this, that sounds familiar to me, and I'm pretty sure it's because it's in the Agile Manifesto, isn't it? It is. That's uh, the kind of the pioneering value. And I think in my own journey to try to teach it and uh, incorporate it and infuse it in um, an industry where it's sort of taboo. That's the thing that has won. Strip away the jargon, focus on the people and the way that you're interacting with them in order to try it or teach it. So that could mean that like if the if the language of Agile or the language of Scrum, uh, if somebody has like a bad experience with a, a poorly implemented Agile, you could a- abandon all of this language altogether and, and still get the value out of the underlying processes, right? Yep. And really through this, you and the people that you're interacting with are discovering the best way to work together. It's not, you know, prescriptive. You don't need to go read and research and implement it. Uh, Focus on the people that you're working with and how they want to work with you in this way. And you guys define what that looks like. So what that means is just because it's working for us in the way that we have implemented and experimented and tried it again, uh, doesn't mean that it's going to work for you exactly the same way or maybe in most ways that I've described today. So it's adaptable. Um, it, it's shapeable. And, you know, if you need to have a sprint uh, in a half a week or you need to chop up your sprints in two days every week and only do a stand-up one of those days, we've done each and every one of these that I've just mentioned, and we're going to find new ways to work in the future, be it the client has less resources than the other client or the team needs to be bigger or smaller based on the project. Um, it really is adaptable. Yeah, I think the the thing that I've heard you say over and over is that the the most important part of this is the iteration of it and learning from the from the previous iteration like what what are we doing and what could we do better and uh, you know for example what if what if we threw two product owners into the mix rather than just one or uh you know what if what if we we didn't have a daily stand-up how does that change things or what if we what if we did daily stand-up over i don't know if we did it over slack or something like that yep 
We've done it before. Love it. Do it. And there's no reason why you can't uh, can't experiment. That's very cool. And, and hopefully, again, going back to this this thing of like trying to get developers to champion this cause. Uh, the 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 whole point here is to create a a way of evaluating what you're doing. Now we we see other people what they've done and what has worked for them, and the whole point of of agile and Scrum is to give you an evaluation method, right? Like that's that's the whole point. Value delivery is really the whole thing. You know, like do something valuable with your time and be able to account for it. Yeah, and, and then go back and learn from a measure front. Absolutely. Value-driven work. And, and we've come back to, to Agile again <laughs> in, in, your, uh, in your 30 seconds of, of advice. Here we are back at Agile again. What's that other question? The next question is, what is one thing that you wish people asked you about more often? Can I go two ways with this answer? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go serious first. Um, I wish more people would ask me about what it's like to work with your husband and how that actually impacts your relationship and friendship. People have the tendency to reduce their idea of us working together to that of our marriage or the way we interact. And I would say at work it is it is different, but it has uh, built and strengthened our marriage um, conversely. I think we chose the harder route by choosing to work together as peers, uh, you know, neither of us are bosses of one another and learning the proper forms for having emotions and feelings and being the wife of someone who's either proud or stressed out by their spouse at work and channeling it and doing the right things with it so that we had a really killer or have a really killer relationship at work. And similarly, uh, so that our marriage is that much cooler in the end. Do you have a, a story of like an assumption that somebody has made about us that you can share uh, a specific assumption that's been made about us? You know, maybe I got hired because of you, uh, but that interview process was really, um, Taylor and Eric did such an incredible job of bringing me in by my own merit uh, and interviewing me pretty, you know, they were they were tough on me and it was a you know two hour conversation three hour conversation it was awesome uh and made the delineation and very clear directive if that if i didn't think i could do it we shouldn't work together and i thought that was really powerful so we've been charged by great leadership but we also had to make a decision personally to uh, be better friends to be better peers to be better co-workers um and i think that's spilled over into our marriage i think it's made our marriage really cool yeah i would say that if she got hired just because of me that that would be a a really horrible business decision right like and whiteboard has succeeded after that decision and lauren has leadership that's way outside of my like she has her own entire uh, set of leadership that I have no bearing on. Like uh, that's totally, that would be completely easy to (laughs) remove, like remove all doubt. It was, it was as if I had brought like uh, just a person from Atlanta (laughs) to to interview a whiteboard. Totally. Uh, But you know, we're still humans and sure we fought over Slack. But we've learned not to do that anymore. Oh yeah, we've de- <laughs> we've definitely fought over Slack like once or twice. But it was something that we that we eventually learned how to avoid doing. 
I do think it's important that that we're at least honest with the idea that relationships are still important. Like there's there's no way that going into that interview that it was totally removed. Like just because it was they were aware that at the time you were only my girlfriend <laughs> or we were engaged rather. Yeah. Uh, but but just because they were aware of it, I, I think that 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 can't be removed from their decision making. But at the same time, uh, relationships are always important in hiring, right? Like having a good relationship with the company that you work with uh, or with someone on a personal level, that really is what it comes down to yeah, it's culture many building. times. Yeah, absolutely. Culture building for sure. But I, I think it becomes really important to draw the line between, you know, showing favoritism because of the relationship and actually just knowing someone is going to be good for a job because of a relationship, right? Yeah. I knew you very well uh, because we're obviously we're engaged. I knew you very well. I knew your personality and I could see a fit for you in the company. And, and so that relationship began from the perspective of, of seeing a fit. Oh yeah. We shared values. I mean, we were in a relationship with, value alignment and that spills over into uh, the culture of a company and the values that they promote you know so we we aligned there as well yeah and i think i think a lot of people unfortunately uh they don't see perfectly eye to eye in a relation in a romantic relationship and also in a work relationship uh and and so we're we're very blessed we're lucky to be able to do that together every day yep Okay, so talk about your the the other the second answer that you have to this question. I love the fact that I had these really vivid, obscure childhood nightmares, and they were repeating enough for me to remember about five of them. You know, vaguely I can say that they repeated, but uh, enough that I can still envision them today. One of them involved Jeffrey the giraffe shooting me with a shot so I could never go to the bathroom again. And it's the most horrifying thing. I love retelling these stories from my childhood of my crazy vivid nightmares. (laughs) Um, My guess is that you will probably pass that on to Liam, our son. I hope not. One of them involves Fuddruckers. Another one involves uh, floating down the stairs. Lots of weird ones. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So if you ever see Lauren at a conference or something like that, then walk up to her and uh, say, thank you so much for teaching me about Scrum. Also, tell me about Jeffrey the Giraffe. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show and and for being a part of Developer T. All of you who are listening, by the way, let me just say, Lauren has been behind the scenes. Uh, by the way, she uh, just trivia for everyone. Lauren designed the developer T logo. I did. I had the honors and somehow it made it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, the same one that <laughs> from That's two true. whole years ago. We've cut the same one. Um uh, but yeah, Lauren has been such an integral part of of what the show is just because she's supported me throughout all of it. You know, uh, this show isn't done like as as a full time day job. Hopefully, hopefully you all know this. <laughs> Obviously, we've been talking about whiteboard this whole time, but uh, this show is done at nights, right, uh, or on the weekends. And Lauren has supported it throughout uh, throughout this whole this whole process. So uh, you all owe her a huge thank you uh, <laughs> for for it being uh, for for being so gracious to me as I go through the process of making this show happen each and every week. So oh. thank you so much to you, Lauren, for, for being so gracious. Thank you. And thanks guys for listening. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Developer Tea, my interview with Lauren Cottrell, my wife. Uh, I was so excited to do this interview. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to uh, to us discuss this the type of stuff that we're doing every day at Whiteboard, discussing Scrum and Agile, and hopefully, hopefully demystifying some of these terms uh, for those of you who are either new to the industry or maybe disillusioned by some of the project management stuff that you've heard over the years. Uh, thank you again to Lauren. If you want to follow Lauren's progress and uh, see what she's up to, go and follow her on Twitter at Lauren McKay. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-M-C-C-A-Y. Thank you again to today's sponsor, Flatiron. Flatiron School is the premier coding boot camp for launching developers. They give you a guaranteed job or your money back. 98% of uh, the the developers who go through Flatiron's program end up getting a job in within six months. So go and check it out, spec.fm slash Flatiron. That'll take you to their boot camp prep, which is totally free. And if you go through that end up and end up going to Flatiron, you'll get $500 off uh, in, in your tuition. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Developer Tea. And until next time, enjoy your tea.